You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Cody Brumley. Hey, well, good morning, First Baptist Jinx family. It is great to be with you today and to kick off a brand new series in the book of Ezra. I do want to say uh, just a thank you for uh, last weekend, the way that as a church you all loved on Rick and Diane as we celebrated Rick's retirement Saturday with uh, gifts and just a lot of celebration around him. And then Sunday, uh, the opportunity to be installed uh, as the lead pastor for this church family was just really humbling for me. Uh, in that time, I did have a lot of people that said, hey, like, what's it? What's it like going back? What's it like returning? Uh, and nobody says that with a straight face. They say it with this one, uh, which I don't really know what that means, except that, uh, that I think a lot of us have a, kind of like a weird uh, relationship with returning. We have this idea of like, we know how things were, we left, but like, like can I really go back? And if you go back, like, is it weird? Is it like, can it be good again? And we have that in a number of areas, but specifically, I think a lot of us carry that in our relationship with the Lord. I think a lot of us might be able to think about a time in our life that we were close to God, that we were in step with God, that we felt just his nearness and his presence, just a real-time awareness of him. And then somewhere in there, it just didn't quite feel the same. It didn't quite hit the same. We didn't feel in step. And maybe God stirs in you to say, hey, come back to me. Return. Come back to what we had. And, you, and we have this hesitancy of like, can I really? Yet, as Christians, returning. Returning is one of the primary practices of a believer. It's one of the defining traits of being Christian. Right? The Christian relationship actually starts with returning. The Christian relationship begins because we realize we are far from God. Our sin has separated us from him. And God has made a way to bring us back to him. And he invites us to it. And he says, you were made to be with me. Return. Our relationship begins with returning, and then once we are with him, there's this every single day call to say, come back to me, come back to me. My daughter and I had this conversation just last week uh, on Monday. We sat down after this big weekend with lots of emotions, and we're about to head to school. She's on the couch, and she's like, Dad, I was reading my devotion stuff, and I just, like, I had to read the same thing over and over, and my brain was just, and I was like, sister, same. I said, for real, I was like, I was reading a chapter of Matthew. My D group, the guys I meet with, that was our chapter that day was Matthew. And I said, I got to the last verse and was like, wait, I know this chapter. There's a lot of good stuff in this chapter. Where were all those verses? And I looked at them, but I didn't read them. Anybody ever done that? Let's get honest. My people, right? And you're like, oh. so, like, I was just, it was so hard to focus. And she said, is that bad? And I was so glad that I'd had someone teach me better early on. And I got to teach her what it was taught me. I said, no. That, that's human. And a hundred distractions from God are a hundred opportunities to return to him. And God never tires of a returning heart. He is joyful every time we turn our eyes back and say, God, I'm coming back. God, I'm coming back. God, I'm coming back. And that's what led us to the book of Ezra. Ezra is a book that chronicles the returning of people to God. It captures this moment, this story. It starts off with Ezra 1.1. It says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord of the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, 
Um, I'm pretty good at reading rooms. Little trick I've picked up. I didn't notice anyone's heart just leaping when I read those words. I didn't see anyone who was like, oh, my life verse, I found it. I'm gonna go on a mug and I'm gonna stitch it in a pillow. Like, none of that hit. Right? In fact, most people read it and they're like, okay. <laughs> that's that's kind of what we get. It's uh, very similar, to, honestly, to what I've got is I've told people that I was going to do Ezra. People are like, hey, what's your first sermon series going to be? And I'm all excited. I'm like, the book of Ezra. And they respond to me like Brianna did um, the first Christmas gift that I ever got her, which was, huh. <laughs> now, uh, and by the way, if you're not married, you don't know this, like if you get your spouse a gift and their response is, huh, you have got the wrong gift. Um, so in her defense, uh, it was, it was not a good idea. I, you know, misread, so, but, but I'm a better gift giver now. All right. So if you're worried about us, we're good. I learned how to give gifts, but I've, so, I've told people about Ezra. Actually, this is funny. One person even was like, so Ezra is your first series. Like, I don't know a lot about it. Like, is that on purpose? Like you pick something that nobody knows a whole lot about because then, you know, like the bar's really lowered for you as a new preacher. <laughs> You're going to look real smart. And I was like, no, but that would have been smart. Um, and, and I think, let me show it to you this way. Um, because I, I think our view of Ezra is what it is because of the way we understand the Old Testament. Now, somewhere there is a kid who's not getting his favorite blocks in our preschool right now. And if that's your kid and he's like, they weren't there because the teacher said Pastor Cody wanted to play with them. Um, I apologize. I will return them. But this tends to be how we think about the Old Testament. That we know, okay, we've got the beginning, we've got the first five books of Pentateuch, and that's commonly called the law, but the law sets up the history. So we really have this section as like the history of God's people. And then that runs all the way through uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Esther's the last book of history. And just so you know, Esther actually happens in the middle of the book of Ezra. And Ezra and Nehemiah were written together as one book in the Hebrew Bible. And so Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah is all happening kind of simultaneously right here in this moment. But then after that, we have the really pretty uh, Psalms and Proverbs and wisdom literature, right? Song of Psalm and Ecclesiastes, like all of that happens. And then you get into the prophets and you've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Limitations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then you have all of your minor prophets. And so they're in this order that's going all the way through. And so you're like, where's Ezra? And you're like, it's somewhere over here. It's right before all the fun stuff. And then right before all the other stuff, I really don't understand. So, because prophecy can be weird. Now, Whenever we think about the Bible this way, we're missing the main point of the Bible. Because the Bible is first and foremost a story. The way that the Old Testament is actually constructed is that you have the beginning of time through the return of God's people, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Now, after that, wisdom literature, wisdom literature goes back here. Actually, Job happens in Genesis, but then Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, they happen in the time of kings. So they're happening in this moment of the story. And then you have the prophets, the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, uh, Daniel. They're happening right here. So Daniel, you guys have heard about him going to Babylon, right? Whenever he gets thrown in the lions, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's happening at exile right before the return. So Daniel's prophecy is happening in the same season. And then you have these minor prophets with all kinds of crazy names, ending up with Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, the last three, which are prophets that we're going to see in our study of Ezra, which are happening here. So the Old Testament, the way it's structured, is chronological order, history, chronological order, poetry, chronological order, major prophets, chronological, minor prophets. And it's done that way 
because it's to emphasize the story. So whenever I say Ezra, we're like, oh, it's this little flyover book. Like, what's really happening here? By itself, removed from the story, Ezra is insignificant. You look at that, what I just read, and you're like, some king somewhere at some time decided to make a proclamation to some people that's far away from here. He decided to build a temple for a bunch of slaves. Great. When you scale back and you realize what's happening in the story, in this moment, all the Old Testament has been leading to this. All that God's been doing has been leading to this moment to set up the rest of the story. It's incredibly significant. Mind you, as a church and as people, if we view our lives as just our life and our church and that's what we're about, removed from the greater story and the greater work of what God's doing, we are insignificant. We are, our only significance is found in the greater story of what God is doing. When we say we're going to be part of the movement of God, it's not about me, it's not about us, it's, a part, it's about God's work, that's when we get to experience the movement of God. Now, this is a story we're trying to teach our kids, by the way. Not just like my kids, but the church's kids. If you bring your kid on a Wednesday night, they're going to hear the timeline of the Bible because we want them to know the story. And so this story that we're talking about in Ezra starts at creation. And yes, we have hand signals, so feel free to join along because the story starts with creation. Say creation. And then after creation, there's the fall. Say fall. Sin enters the world. And there's a fall. There's a break between man and God. But then God says, I'm going to make a promise. Say promise. He says, I promise that I'm going to return all things to the way they were meant to be. I'm going to do that through a family. Say family. So he appoints Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. That family is saved into Egypt. And then in Egypt, they become not a family, but a nation out of them. And in this nation, they're slaves. So God says, I'm going to take that nation. And now they're going to escape. Say escape. With 10 plagues and the parting of the seas, they escape and they become God's people. And so God gives them his law, say law. He gives them a law so that way they know how to be God's people. And he says, not just a law, but I'm giving you a land. So they go to the land, say land. They enter the promised land and they start to conquer that and he gives them judges, but then they want to be like everyone else. So they say, we want some kings. So God says, I'll give you kings, say kings. And so we have Saul, and then we have David, and then we have Solomon, but then Solomon's sons, they, they're parting ways because they're not following the heart of God, and so we have a kingdom divided. It's a kingdom divided. So now we have 10 tribes to the north and two to the south. The sons of Abraham became tribes, and 10 of them are there, two of them go here, and they just don't follow God. And so God sends all these prophets to say, listen, you can follow me or you can risk my judgment. And they say, we'd rather risk your judgment than listen to your plan. And so the 10 tribes of the north, they get, they get attacked by Assyria and they're dispersed and they go really into nothingness. All that's left of God's promised people are now Benjamin and Judah and their tribes and Babylon shows up and Jeremiah says, hey, Babylon's coming. They're going to take us captive and we're going to be taken away. And that's called exile, say exile. This is what's happened to God's people. But he doesn't send them to exile without hope. Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah says, after 70 years in Babylon, God will judge the Babylonians for the way that they have acted, for being against him. He will bring this to nothing. And then, Jeremiah 29, verse 10, he says to his people, after 70 years, I will return to you, and I will return you to this place, back to Jerusalem, back to the place that God had promised. I will be a blessing to all nations and all people through this place. What happens in Jerusalem will allow all people to access God and all people to worship God, no matter their lineage, background, or history, or anything. Now, imagine they go into exile, and they're thinking, how 
how is God going to finish this story if we're just captives in Babylon? There's no way. Well, Isaiah had told us that Cyrus was going to be picked by God. God would select a man named Cyrus, and Cyrus would be God's shepherd. And Isaiah 44 says that through Cyrus, God is going to rebuild his temple. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's in Babylon as an exile, and he starts to read Jeremiah, and he goes, wait a second, this 70 years is almost up. We better start repenting because God's about to get to work, and we don't want to miss it. So Daniel calls people to repentance because he says, Babylon's going to fall to the Persians. And then guess what happens out of nowhere? Persia conquers a major city. They march on the Babylonians. They get to Babylonia, and they surrender. They say, hey, we don't even want you to like fight us. We're, we're done. We will fall to Persians and Cyrus, who is prophesied, who we knew was coming from the promises of God, through the prophets of God. Y'all, everything. Do you see how much Bible has been pointing to this? And they're in exile in another place going, there's no way God can keep his promise. And then, verse 1, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Verse two, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever's among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and beasts, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Absolutely incredible. In many ways, the second exodus. In the first exodus, God hardens the heart of a king, and this one he stirs it. In the first exodus, they plunder the Egyptians on their way out. And here, people freely give them everything that there is to go and accomplish the work of the Lord. God is doing what he said he would do, yet again, he's keeping his promise. This is why we study the Bible, church. We are students of the Bible because when I look at someone and I say, no one is too far from God to be saved. No one's made too many mistakes. No one's ran too far. No one's forgotten him for too long that God cannot bring them back. When I say God keeps his promises, and God will bring anybody back from where they've gone. Everyone is invited back to God, and he can save anybody at any time because that's what he said he will do. I don't say those promises because I'm just making them up and they feel good. I'm saying them because I have evidence from history. God said he would send them to exile, he would bring them back, and this is God keeping his word. He's a promise-making, promise-keeping God. So when God makes these promises to us in his word, we rest assured that he will fulfill them, even if we can't imagine how he would do it. And what a gift, isn't it? That we don't have to fret about who's in political power, who holds the highest seat of government, who's in charge at our job. That, like, that gets no emotion for me as a believer. Do you know why? Because God is writing a story he's already promised to finish, and I know my place in it. And the hearts of kings are a river in the hands of God, says Proverbs. He directs them where he would have them go. And if he can bring Cyrus, a pagan king, and stir his heart to accomplish exactly what God promised to do it, I'm pretty sure he can take care of anything else I'm worrying about. So God unfolds his story, but it's not just him. Verse 5, then rose up the heads of the father of the houses of Judah and Benjamin. The priests and the Levites, everyone who's, there it is again, look at it. Spirit God has stirred to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord. So God's word starts the work, but then God stirs spirits to be a part of it. 
Because God keeps his promises to people through people. Let that sink in. God has promises that he is going to keep to people, and he does that through people. He stirred Cyrus, a human, that he appointed at a specific time to accomplish this. He stirred all of these people to go and be a part of rebuilding the house. That's how God does the work. So when I know that God has promised to bring comfort, God comforts my friends, God provides comfort for them, keeping his promise through people. When I know God meets the needs of other people, God meets the needs of people through people. Whenever I know that God has movements of God that are really attributed to him. He invites us to be a part of it. Why? Because we are image bearers of God. We were not made to passively observe the story of God unfold. We are image bearers, which means we are to be participants in the unfolding of the redemptive work. So not only do we get to experience the redemption of God in our life, we are invited to help others experience that redemptive work as well because God's invited us into it and he stirs your heart to be a part of it. What I love is that we have Cyrus, the pagan king, and then we have the fathers of the heads of the remaining tribes of Judah. And both of them are stirred to the same work. Speaking as a church, just so you know, whether you've been here 90 years in this church family, or you've been here 90 minutes, if you belong to God, and God is stirring you to be a part of his kingdom work, get to work, all right? If you're new here and you're like, yeah, but I don't know what people do what, I'm not really sure how they, no, listen, if God's put something on your heart to advance the gospel, give him your yes and get to it. We're ready to go. And I saw this on Wednesday watching a prayer team at this table that was a brand new family and, a, and a, some of our senior saints that have been here for years. And they said, you know what? We're called to the same work. We're in it together. That's what we do. We are committed to the work. So they were both called to rebuild the house, and they were all in for it. Do you know what it's like to be stirred by God? Do you know? In in fact, just if you can think of a moment there, I remember being stirred by the Lord to do something. Would you just raise your hand? I'm just curious. I want to see where we're at here. Okay, a lot of you. you. You know that feeling. I remember being confused by that early on. Where I asked someone, someone's like, you know, I just heard God tell me, and I was like, boop, time out. Tell you? Text message, phone call, email. How's he do this? Is it, you know, like, is it the burning bush? Is it, you know, talking animal? I've got a dog. It'd be cool if Rosie talked. Is that like, how am I, how are you hearing? I didn't know. And everybody made it sound so easy. God tells me stuff. And then the guy that discipled me in college, he explained it this way, and I I was so thankful. He was like, "Have have you had a thought And it's like every other thought, right? It's a thought in your mind, in your voice, the way that you think normally. But as you consider it, you're like, there's no way I would think that on my own, right? Why? Because that's gonna be too much of a sacrifice. It doesn't help me, it benefits others. It's not about what I want, it's about what God would want for somebody else. Like, why on earth would I wanna, he's like, that's when God's stirring you. Well, to say yes to that, that, that could cost me. I didn't plan for that. I didn't expect that. That's God stirring. And that's why I like that language of stirring. That's what happens here. That's how God accomplishes his work. He's written it out. He's got the story. He doesn't need you to be a part of it. He invites you to be a part of it. Right? He's not sitting around and he's like, man, I've got a great plan for the whole South County. Revival's going to burst out if Chris Kaiser would just start paying attention. Right? That's not, God's not going, oh man, I've got a plan for God, but if, if only Bart would start tithing. 
then we'd have enough to do it. Listen, God, God is not insufficient. He has everything he needs. In fact, the, the next verses prove it. Whenever you look at look at verse six. So he stirs them to the work. Verse six, all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver and gold and goods and beasts and costly wares besides all that was freely offered. God foot the bill for his work. Everything they needed was already around them. So when they were stirred, all they had to do was say yes. They didn't have to look around and go, well, do I really have what it takes? And I'll tell you, there, those are two, there's two things I think come to mind that keep us from stepping into where God stirs us to work. This is one of them. I think we're like, oh, I could do that, but I just don't know if I have the knowledge. I don't know if I have the time. I don't know if I have the funds. I don't know if I have the resources. I don't know if I have the support. And so we, uh, God's probably not stirring me to that. The other one is also comparing how God's stirring us to the way God's stirring other people. And if you look at this text, it says, those he stirred. He didn't stir everybody. God's people would return in three different waves, under Zerubbabel, under Ezra, and under Nehemiah, which means he stirred them at different times to different works. And I think sometimes we sit around and we're like, well, yeah, man, like God, I, I think maybe we want to do that, but they're not doing it. They're not doing it. They're not giving. They're not tithing. They didn't write a check. They didn't volunteer. They didn't serve in kids. They didn't do... And if, not, if, they're, if they're not doing it, then it's probably not for me. Listen, we cannot let someone else's lack of stirring excuse our lack of obedience. The Spirit of God is stirring you. That is the God of the universe inviting you into his story. If he is stirring you, be a husband like this, be a spouse like that, be a parent like this, be a neighbor like this, be a coworker like this, serve your church like this, give like this, be generous like this. If he's stirring you, that's for you. And we can't let anybody else's lack of movement and whatever God's doing in them dictate our willingness to obey. Because guess what? Some of them behind the scenes may actually be supporting exactly the thing God's calling you to. And, and just so you know, we see this done in beautiful ways in our church. My favorite is our rap ministry. I'm a little partial to it. But it's our foster and adoption ministry. Because I remember watching, watching Rachel sit in that support group, and she said, there's a baby. And I think I'm supposed to say yes to fostering. But if I say yes, it is y'all's baby too. Because <laughs> I cannot do this. Like, are you in? And I remember watching that, that ministry say, your yes is our yes. You've already got it. We're gonna, bring, we're gonna bring the formula. We're gonna bring the, the clothes. We're gonna bring the, the car seat. We're gonna, like, we're going to do this. So I watched it happen again, right, with, with another family that said yes to fostering just this last week, and there's this shower of their friends that say, your yes is our yes. It happens with hope is alive. When someone says, I'm gonna get out of addiction, and their family surrounds them, we surround that family, and we say, we're with you, helping you get out of addiction. It happens every time that you give every single Sunday, when you set up recurring giving, whenever you tithe, when you give offerings, when God stirs in you, you are saying, I'm making sure we are ready to say yes to whatever God wants. It's why I'm praying our debt down. I'm like, Lord, I, I want to be out of that because I just want our whole church to be ready for the next yes. Because that's how he does it. He may stir an individual to something and say, great, you go serve with the homeless. Great, you go teaching the kids. Great, you be a part of our prayer team. I'm gonna go prepare a sermon. Here's all the different things that we're doing. And as we stir, we all come around and support one another by regular, ordinary, disciplined obedience. God is unfolding an extraordinary story through the ordinary obedience of people he stirs into action. Where is he stirring you? Don't miss it. It's not for his benefit, it's for yours to say yes 
and he supplies all that you need. Now, at the very end, we get a few more details that actually serve to highlight the big picture of what God's doing. Verse 7 says, Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels from the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out, and he charged, uh, put them in the charge of uh, Miradeth and uh, the treasurer who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah, and this was the number of them, 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 29 censers and 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, and a thousand other vessels. All the vessels of gold and silver were 5,400. All these did Sheshbazar bring up when the exiles were brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem, that 900-ish miles, four months journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. They bring it all up. Now, this is just a factual statement, but it actually paints a really good picture of what, Jesus, of what God's doing in this moment. You see, all of these items were made for God's people to do the work of God, to be about the worship of God. They were holy purposed items. And they were taken from the house of the Lord and they were set on the shelves of the false gods of culture. And Cyrus takes over and he sees them. He goes, those don't belong here. Those belong to God. And God uses him to restore them to their purpose. God sends them back to return to the holy purpose for which he designed them. This is what he's doing with the people. The people of God have a holy purpose, a story that they had been rescued into and graced into by God, and they had been away from that story in exile because they, they wanted to live a certain way more than they cared about the judgment of God. And God said, I'm bringing you back. I'm restoring you to the holy purpose for which I made you to fulfill my plans through you. Church, if... If God does that for bowls and basins, here today and gone tomorrow, and if God did that through a people that he preserved through history, will he not keep his word to us? Us, who are exile with sin and death, removed from God, that's where we live, until Jesus came to us and entered sin and death for us to set us free, exiled with us in death, and God raises him to life. So he returns and when he returns, he returns with a promise that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ and the work he did, we return with him. We are united with him. And so he ascends to the Father and he says, surely I am coming again. I will, the same kind of promise that God gave to them through Jeremiah, he says, I will come again for you. I will return to you and return you with me because you are mine and I keep my word. If he did it for bowls and basins and if he did it for these people, will he not keep his word? So why worry, why fret, and why waste your life on the shelves of the false gods of our culture when you were made for a holy purpose? I don't want, I don't want to waste my life stored in the places of the false gods of our world. I want to live the remainder of my days in exile knowing I was made for a holy purpose and I want to be stirred into that purpose and I want to get to work. And I think there's a lot of you that feel the same thing. And so that's where, that's where we have to move into making a decision. Some of you in this room, some of you have never returned to God. Some of you in this moment still believe that your truth and your story and your wants and your plans, that's all there is. And God said, no, I made you to be with me. 
I made you to belong to me, to be a part of my family. I made you for a greater purpose than you will ever find over there. He says, return to me. Believe. Believe Jesus Christ has entered your situation, that he has saved you. Put your faith in him and return to me. And that looks like a decisive time in your heart to say, I'm going to believe God at his word. Some of you need to do that today. Some of you, you've returned to God. He called you out of death and into life, and you say, I believe in Jesus. But as you've been there, you've been like the Israelites, and you just drift, and, work, and life pulls you this way, and distractions pull you this way, and you go this way, and the echo of return to me, return to me, return to me is over and over. Some of you, listen, I think you're walking with God. I think he stirred you to things. But you might be ignoring those stirrings. There might be all these little places that God says, hey, be mine, be all in, do this, give your yes, watch me do that. And instead, what we do is we say, oh yeah, I remember that time God stirred me. Years ago in this big way. I remember that one time that God asked me to sacrifice and I said yes, and God provided. It was the craziest thing. God put it on my heart, I said yes, and then God made a way. It was incredible. And we said, when was that? And like, that was about 15 years ago. When was that? I was 20 years ago. When was that a decade ago? I'm not minimalizing those. I'm just saying God offers those every single day. We can walk in a real-time spirit of God. This is what's called walking in the spirit, where you're aware that, God, you're stirring me to have this conversation, to pray this prayer, to supply this need. You are going to fulfill your promise to somebody else through my ordinary obedience. Where is he stirring you? So that's, that's some of us. Some of us need to give our lives to Jesus for the first time. Some of us need to pay attention to the stirring in our heart. Say, so you know what? I'm going to get back after it. I'm giving my yes again. And, and I can't ignore this, as risky as it sounds. <laughs> some of you, some of y'all need to support the work. Some of you need to invest in the kingdom. That's how God accomplishes his work is through the ordinary, regular obedience of generous people that say, I would rather invest in things that last and invest in people that last and invest in the promise of God going to the ends of the world than I would spend it on other things. And so some of y'all, like, lean in. Again, God doesn't need you to give. He's got all he needs. You need you to give so you can know that your heart's all in. And so whenever we share testimonies as a church, you get to say, I was a part of that. I was a part of that life change. I was a part of that story. It is a beautiful place to be whenever you see someone else's heart stirred and you get to say, I've said yes to you and your obedience. It brings me the greatest joy. That's why my family gives. That's why many of you all give. So, follow Jesus. Pay attention to the stirring. Invest in the story that's bigger than you. What's your next step? Let's pray. Father, would you meet us in this moment? as we consider what we've heard, and we thank you for your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to our podcast. We hope that you've been encouraged and challenged to take steps closer to Jesus. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, share with your friends. It really does make a difference. And lastly, make sure to follow us on all of our social media at FBC Jinx to keep up with all that's going on in the life of our church. Again, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.